HVAC deposit in the back and the humans morning so it's slowly cooling off. We had fans here before you arrived, uh, sucking out all the hot air. Hopefully it's, uh, of course, today's going to be about 90 degrees outside. <laughs> but uh, hopefully you enjoyed the first half of the presentation. And um, without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Mr. Wesley Fryer, uh, a digital learning consultant, author, and educator. His blog, you may be familiar with Moving at the Speed of Creativity, was selected as a 2006 Best Learning Theory blog by eSchool News and Discovery Education, and is utilized by thousands of educators. He is a Google Certified Teacher and an Apple Distinguished Educator. He is a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy and a Fulbright Scholar. Wesley teaches technology integration courses for pre-service teachers as an adjunct instructor at the University of Central Oklahoma. His background includes service as an elementary teacher, campus technology integration specialist, college director of distance learning, and state director of education advocacy for AT&T. Wesley authored a 2011 ebook, Playing with Media, Simple Ideas for Powerful Truth. I'd like to introduce Mr. Wesley Fryer. All right. Thank you very much. It is a pleasure to be here in New York. I actually grew up in Manhattan. Um, but the Little Apple, Manhattan, Kansas. That's um, where my parents still live. And in fact, I was there to witness a rather depressing loss to the University of Oklahoma last weekend. But uh, at least my other team, Texas Tech, um, in a 39 game winning streak uh, at home for OU. And anyway, it doesn't make it popular to wear any, any Texas Tech colors when I'm, when I'm home. Photographed last night at the Quaker Hill Tavern. Anybody even there? Really, really good food. Sign of the times, perhaps. What do we see? <laughs> We're waiting for our food, and family's waiting for food, and we've got the devices, right? <laughs> How many of you are challenged in your relationship with your spouse or significant other by a screen? It says a lot if you're on that date with that young lady and you can't give her your full attention. I mean, it's a real gift to give someone your full attention, isn't it? And we see in school a big challenge with these devices. And of course, it's not just for kids, it's for us as well. I had dinner with Sarah when I was telling her in the airplane flying continental from Houston to New York, they had the screens right in front. And I actually turned mine off because I wanted to read and not be distracted. But the Food Network was on, you know, next to me. And what was I constantly doing? I was looking over there, right? There's this draw of the screen. So these screens offer an incredible opportunity for us. It's not like everyone has a Game Boy. Okay, it's a lot more than that in terms of the access that we have, but not just the access, the opportunity to create and the opportunity to share. So before we get into all that, let me give you something real practical that you can take home today and start using professionally and personally. Who's had a situation with email where someone tries to organize a, com uh, a meeting and one email goes out and then 10 emails come back and then more emails go out and then some come back and pretty soon you know you've got 30 emails literally if you've got a group of you know very many people love this website it's free it is called whenisgood.net practical example I'm defending my dissertation in a couple weeks 
of the week of November the 14th. So I needed to know for my three committee members at Texas Tech, when could they meet this week? I'm wide open, okay? So all of these times are available. You set up the times that you're available. And then you ask folks to paint over the times that work for them. So I'm going to jump out of my presentation here and show you. Here's my chair. Those are her times. There's my statistician, uh, Dr. Burley. Here's my third committee member. Guess what? There's one time that's going to work for all of these folks. But with one email and then quickly painting over this for free, we're able to identify that and set up the dissertation defense for Friday, November 18th at 8 a.m. Central Time in Lubbock, Texas. Pretty excited about that. So take that one home. Note, note that down. Um, you know, it's always a challenge, too, with people on different calendars. Because, you know, if anybody's not on that calendar system that your school uses and they don't use the calendar feature, this is independent of, of calendars. So, handouts. I've done an old school thing and tried to write a link up there on the whiteboard. That will stay up there. Um, I've got some business cards if you want a paper card um, with a link. But right now, we had a great example of graffiti from our, um, our previous presentation. This is a text messaging deal. So right now, if you who's got a mobile device? Anybody have a phone in the room? Okay. Anybody? Anybody willing to use it for learning? Here's what I want you to do. You're gonna, and I'll dem- demonstrate this. You're going to send a text message to 5500. That's the number you're going to send it to. And you are simply going to put my my Twitter ID W Fryer as your message. So let me just jump over here to my iPhone and show you what this would look like on an iPhone. You're going to go to messages and you're going to open up a new message and the message I want to send is not going to a phone number. It's going to 5500. This is using a free service by a company called Contexts and I'm going to put in W Fryer, okay, just my um, ID that I kind of use for Twitter and everything. And what this is going to do is respond with a 140 character business card. So that's just been sent off. There's the reply. I'll go into this again so we can kind of see it full screen. And so here it is. We've got the uh, links that I have chosen to share for this session. The first one is a shortened URL using a free website called Bitly bit.ly, and it's, this is the roadmap to blended learning, so that is an L at the end. So you can actually just type that in if you want, but that's, that's the handout with all the links, the videos, everything we'll do. Secondly, it goes to the ebook that I'll mention, and I'll mention the discount code for half off that I created uh, for you, Good Through Sunday. Uh, Twitter account, my blog, and my phone number if you'd like to call and chat. So uh, that website is, is uh, Contexts but it doesn't have an E in it. It's C-O-N-T-X-T-S. So, again, that's something you might take back because we all have meetings. We all need to distribute stuff. We all generally print too much paper. And if we can allow folks to access things digitally, not only can we save trees, but we can also demonstrate the power of blended learning and this opportunity to access materials and resources that are available 24-7 online. We are power our connectivity, um, and also update things, because that's a website that, that I'll be updating uh, with additional resources as this presentation morphs. How many of you have learned something interesting Googling your child, grandchild, spouse, neighbor, friend? Anyone learned something interesting? Have you done that recently? Have you Googled yourself? It's a good thing to do. The Pew Internet Research, or the Pew American Life Project, did a survey last year in April finding over half of adult Americans Google themselves, okay? You need to do this. 
Anybody have a story about a student who's applied to college and had something happen positively or negatively as a result of a Google search? I'll give a little more wait time for this. Anybody, anybody have something that's happened as a result of things they've done? Anything sports-wise happen here? We had an OU football player that had created some pretty um, violent and racist videos in high school that came to service. Uh, he lost the scholarship. You know, was the problem YouTube? Oh, YouTube! It's just terrible. That's probably the choice, right? The choice that that young man made which was given transparency by the digital environment that led to consequences for him, unfortunately, in school. I was in Alva, Oklahoma, a small community near the Panhandle last September, and the counselor there told me a story about one of their students, a senior, who was applying to go to Oklahoma State. And as many sororities will today, they looked on Facebook and they Googled for her. And they actually told her the reason she was not getting an invite back to Rush was because of some of the things they had found online in you know, trouble. So like it or not, I personally, I'm happy that when I was in school, my peers didn't have a device in their pocket that could not only record pictures, but also audio and video and put it into global distribution, which might never be you know, able to be taken down. I'm, I'm glad that my adolescent years were not documented thoroughly. But like it or not, we do live in that world. And one of the questions we've got to ask is how do we turn that to our advantage? How do we take control of our digital footprint? How do our students take control of their digital footprint so that when they're Googled by an employer, potentially, or a college admissions office, or a boyfriend or girlfriend, or whatever the case may be, People are going to find things they want them to find. So, if you want to Google my name, unless it's changed in the last, you know, 24 hours, my blog will come up first, and you can click Handouts and get to our link today. So, today I would like to talk about a roadmap for learning. Is anybody here a geography fan? Do you like geography? You know, a lot of people think geography is place location. And you're like, not geography. I hated the rise of states capital. You know, but that's... That's really not geography. Geography is understanding complex relationships that in many cases are shaped by the terrain, they're shaped by patterns of behavior. It's a much bigger picture than just, you know, do you know where Uganda is in Africa? So the reason this conversation is vital and the reason I'm so thankful for the invitation to be here and be with you is because vision is critical. Who's wearing glasses or contacts today? In our room. Would your learning experience be different if we took those away? Would the experience of others around you who you work with be different? Absolutely, because when we are able to see the world more clearly, we function differently. And I have three children. My middle child is now 11 and just got glasses about two years ago. We had no idea that she was really in need of glasses. And wouldn't it have been an absolute crime as a parent for her to go through another day of school seeing a fuzzy world. And so what I hope I'll be able to share today and I hope we'll be able to talk about and you'll be able to continue to share is a vision for where we need to go in our schools. Because some of the stuff that's happening with tablet devices and the consumerization of IT and Blackberries, and this stuff's going on independent of whatever we do. But the choices that you make as a leader in your school are so vital. The words that you speak and the vision that you share makes a big difference on how people perceive the world, 
in some basic things, like whether they feel safe. You know, that's a big deal. I just heard the CEO of Whole Foods talk on Tuesday in Oklahoma City. We just got our first Whole Foods in Oklahoma City. And he talked about uh, conscious capitalism. It was like a super interesting talk. I wasn't expecting this. He talked about purpose. He never asked a doctor, you know, what's your purpose? And the doctor says, it's to maximize profit for one of Never ask the teacher, what's your purpose? It's to maximize the return on investment for money. No. Doctors heal people. Teachers educate people. And he says organizations need to be about purpose as well. But he was talking about a vision for his organization and the difference it makes even in helping people feel safe. Do your teachers feel safe today? I am sick and tired of the politics of fear in our country. Fear motivates people. Okay, I know it does. But as leaders, we must choose a different path. We're obligated to choose a different path. So I hope I give you some ideas along that. Anybody read this book by Toby Lester? Never heard of it until September. I had a chance to attend the Google GeoTeachers Institute in Maine, and they had two institutes, one in Washington, D.C., one in Lewiston, Maine. Toby Lester came and spoke to us, and his whole book is about this little map called the Walsamuro map. Anybody heard of this before? What, what have you heard about it? Or what do you know about Okay. What are, what are the things that people have heard about this map? Any most expensive thing the Library of Congress has ever purchased called the Birth Certificate of America. Library of Congress a few years before, I think, paid $3 million for an original copy of the Declaration of Independence. $10 million for this. This map, published in 1507, was the first map to show the Americas entirely surrounded by water. And the group and the team in Germany that created this map was using a lot of documents, some of which were forgeries, interestingly, fake letters, from Amerigo Vespucci. And many people believe the fact that this said Americus and had Vespucci's name, Amerigo, on the map is the reason we're called the United States of America and our continents are called the Americas today. Amazing, fascinating story about all kinds of connections about history and exploration and the power of the church and you know what was going on with Portugal and Spain and all of these different things. It's a big deal to have an accurate map of the world. It's a big deal to have an idea that this is not Asia. These are not the Indies. We have not found Indians. It's a big deal. And while, like this map, because right over here on this part, it says terra incognita. What does that mean? I'm unknown. Doesn't that tantalize you as an explorer? I mean, I'm like, where's the uncharted world today? And there's a part of me that wants to go out and discover that. Like this map, I can't tell you exactly what the contours look like on this side. But we know a great deal about what the world looks like in terms of technology. And I'll share a quotation, I have a slide for it later, that the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed yet. So when we ask, what is school going to look like in five years? What can it look like? What should it look like? We can learn a great deal by looking at the map. And so I'm going to use that as a metaphor. 
This is from April 2011. It is a slide from an article on Gizmodo. These kinds of slides, you know, it, they change frequently. Here we are uh, in, in, in November, and these are all out of date. But as of April, 600 new videos every 60 seconds were being uploaded to YouTube. There were 370,000 voice calls on Skype per minute. Uh, when I've been on Skype, anybody use Skype? Who's talked to someone internationally in another country? What, what country did you talk to? Australia. Australia? Britain? Japan? Japan? Ireland? France? You know, if I asked that question five years ago, we wouldn't have had that many hands. How much did those calls cost you, by the way? If you're on the internet, it's free, right? Went to China again in September, took my iPhone, didn't want to turn on the phone, right? You heard the horror stories about take your phone internationally and you get socked with this hundreds of... So what I do, free Wi-Fi in the hotel, Skype application, figure out what time it is in Oklahoma, call my wife. And just right there, no delay, we're just talking. And in that case, I'm calling a landline and it did cost a few cents. So I had like $3 on my Skype account. Plenty of, of uh, time to be having, you know, hours of time to back and forth. So I'm going to show you a video here in a minute that's going, to, that's going to ask, and I'm going to give you a little time, to think about what this means for communication and literacy. Because we are in the literacy business. We're in the communication business. Part of what we do in school is we equip young people, and sometimes older people, depending on what levels we serve, to be good communicators and to be literate in our society. And I'm going to contend today that this landscape cannot be ignored and that it means we need to do some different things in school. So, in the spirit of a good presentation, here's my three points. These are going to be little waypoints for us. We're going to talk about the destination. Where are we headed? We're going to talk about the ship that takes us there. A little bit about devices. We're going to talk about the network. Because you know what? If we don't build robust wireless networks with a lot of bandwidth, they just brought a new cable in and wired me in. Why did they do that? Because it's going to be dedicated and I'm going to have enough connectivity. Now, I'm not going to stream video and do a lot of bandwidth things, but we need a good ship. Would you agree? You know, the story of Columbus going across, and this is a wonderful little anecdote from that book, The Fourth Part of the World. And I will probably get it wrong as far as which journey this was on, but I think it was Columbus's first journey. He had been away for hours and hours, and they had, they had um, found land in, in what they thought were the Indies, and he wanted to take a rest and go to sleep. And so he went downstairs to go to sleep, and they're off Española, which is modern-day Haiti and the Dominican Republic. He goes downstairs to go to sleep, leaving the ship in the hands of his sailors, and they want to go to sleep, so they get a kid to take the wheel, and they go to sleep, and you know what they, what they do? They run aground, and they shipwreck, and they get trapped on this reef, and it buffets them, and their, their ship disintegrates. And they have to get, you know, basically saved by the natives. Like, oh my gosh! We need good ships. And we need knowledgeable leaders at the helm. We also need smarter kids to steer the ship. We need responsible kids with integrity, right? And if the kids don't have the skills, we don't need to put them in charge. <laughs> there's, a, there's nice ways to take that metaphor. Absolutely. You know, there's a myth about digital natives. Oh, but you've got it. They got it. Folks, I've been teaching pre-service teachers each semester now for the, for the last three semesters. I guarantee you, the kids are good at entertaining themselves. 
watching YouTube, and posting updates on Facebook do not equate to digital literacy and, and good communication skills. And I'm with Michael Wesch, who is a professor at Kansas State and has had several viral videos uh, published on the web, when he says, to be a literate person today, I not only need to be able to read and consume media, but I need to be able to create it. I need to be able to craft a persuasive message. And there's a lot of nice ways we can take that. There's a dumb ad that talks about this girl and her makeup and how the manipulation of media. Go through the, the checkout line of the store, you're being manipulated, right? Because none of those girls look that good. And probably none of the guys, I don't know. But we know, we know that the, the airbrush is in heavy use on every single magazine cover today. How do you get kids to be aware of that? There's lots of implications for this. So, let's talk a little bit about our destination. Anybody know this fellow? Let's give you a hint. <laughs> so the Spucci is at the top of this map, and on the other side, I don't have it shown, is Ptolemy. And I didn't really place Ptolemy in the whole historical record, but where did Ptolemy come from? What civilization? Greek, right? So Ptolemy had, had come up with latitude and longitude and this idea of mapping the world back in ancient times, and so the rediscovery of what Ptolemy had done was a, was a really big deal. So, the destination. We're headed to a new world of learning. We're in a new world of learning, but it's not fully mapped. Let's talk a little bit about this. Who has an e-reader today? Just raise your hand. Alright, awesome. Does anybody really like reading their e-book? If you liked it, what, what do you like about it? Because there's a lot of folks saying, eh, I'm, not gonna, I'm not giving up the paper. And, and what do you like about an e-book? Well, I like my iPad because I can read it in bed at night without disturbing anybody else. Okay, the light source is there, right? Okay. It's with wherever I go. It's always with you. Okay. Ten goes through time, plus the font is always the same. My sister-in-law has macular degeneration. She's a librarian. She is active librarian at the largest high school in Texas. Before the Kindle and e-books, she was having to basically get all her books through audio. Now that she can have them electronically, she can make the font large enough. I mean, she can see, but it's it's seriously impaired with very thick glasses. So that's a magical thing. Oh my gosh, I can read again. Anybody else? I like annotating. Taking notes and then guys Do you highlight as well? Highlight annotating and Mark it up. Very cool. Yes, isn't that amazing? I mean, I like to go to the bookstore and I like to hang out there, but we've been on a trip before with, and, and my wife, we're about to get on a plane and she just finished her book, and right there, she had a new book. It's like, okay, different day. Same thing because I follow them out and analyze something very sweet about the lady world that I can probably keep books. How about the backpacks? Do you all have any backpacks around here in the school? You know, I mean, teaching fourth grade in Lubbock, Texas, we literally have kids with the, you know, roller bags coming in, and it's like smart kid, smart parent, you know, because what's that going to do to your back if you're hauling that back and forth? The book is a digital bridge, I believe. Every single one of us needs to be reading ebooks. Why? Because literacy is changing, and we are the experts on literacy in our community. And if you want to have a valid opinion about things, I'm not saying this about illegal drugs, but I will say it about ebooks. You need 
to read an e-book and decide what you think about it. I read my first National Geographic on the iPad this last week, and it was great. I thought, you know, before that day, I had only ever typed in the web address that came on the magazine maybe one time for one article. In that short setting, I saw five videos by the videographer that helped with the article and the, the photographer, you know, just additional information, some animations about articles. It was awesome. And I don't lose the text. I still have the text, but I get more. And the reason I think it's a bridge, I doubt in Oklahoma or New York we're going to have parents come in and go, what are we doing with all these books? We don't need no books. <laughs> People know you need books. And we actually need more than books. We need teachers, right? The relationship that we have with students is pivotal and critical. Yes, will some kids be all online and just go to their cubicle and that's all they need? Yeah, they will. Are alternative education programs really important? Yes. What about that pregnant teenage girl that suddenly won't or can't go to your school anymore? You know, course recovery and alternative ed, those are important things. But... I want to encourage you to encourage your teachers to be reading ebooks and also to write ebooks because our opportunity to create these, to showcase student work, to have an academic yearbook of some of the best work our kids have done costs how much today? Zero because the software is free and if your kid will keyboard it in, you'll capture it with images, so much potential here. So, we have a proliferation of mobile computing devices today. And we're going to talk about this landscape and what the right question to ask in this landscape is. Because let me tell you, I love powerful technology that just works. That's why I love Macs, okay? But I say, use whatever you have, use it well. Use it well. The right question is not, what do you want to buy? It's, what do you want to do? Because what you buy can very much influence what you do. So we're going to watch a video. Um, interestingly, the YouTube version of this has been taken down for a copyright violation. It's still on Vimeo, and I have the, um, the, the link. Um, but this is a book by a former Google employee called Socialnomics. It's a four-minute and 26-second video. We've got to end media abuse in our schools. Okay, stop using PowerPoint as a text-based environment. That happens all the time in business and school. And also, use media in short chunks. Give your students questions and talk about it, you know, rather than saying, here, let's watch the hour-long documentary. Here's your question. Why should communication changes matter in school? We'll give you two minutes to talk about that question after we watch this video.
The story I heard was that Eric paid a grad student $300 to make that video, and it went viral. I can't vouch for the book. I haven't read it, but I think it brings up a lot of good points, and this is your question. Why should communication changes matter in school? You have two minutes. Turn to your neighbor and chat about that question. Thank you. 
friends, you know, how do you get the attention of a large group when they really want to keep talking? Let's just get a couple folks to share one or two sentences. Or a long paragraph, which is one or two sentences. So what do you say? Or volunteer your neighbor, because that's all good thing to do at this point. And interacting. And interacting. And how much did that motor cost? The fellows who invented that are in Minnesota. Minnesota, Michigan. Minnesota, I think. Anyway, I was just visiting with somebody. They're in their community. They're going to come to their conference and talk about it. It's exploded. You know, thousands and thousands of users around the world. And it's not just, what did you call it, Sarah, the uh, digital pages? On, what was that? Power pages? Or, there's a term we were talking about where it's like, I got my homework assignment posted online. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is exciting if we haven't done that Class before. Pages on Class pages on steroids. This is interaction. This is the opportunity to turn assignments interact with peers and much more than just posting content. All right, I actually the two sentences. Somebody else call under the neighbor. You spoke about equity, some of the students have it and some don't. I spoke about how they get used by the media more than using. Media literacy is hugely important. And if we want kids to become more media literate, we need to help them and we ourselves need to become media creators and become, you know, very aware. Have open eyes when you see a film, when you see the magazine, when you watch television. Anything else? I'm going to wait on this There's transformative ways that this technology can really improve things. We already know we're good. We know parent communication is good. Mars Long say anything about that? Classroom instruction that works? Does he say anything at all about time on task, perhaps? Yeah, just a little bit, right? There's just a little research that says when kids have more time on task, they achieve better. There's just a little research saying if parents are more involved and more in touch with the teacher, the kids will do better. Let's look for transformative ways that technology can not only improve things we've already been doing, but help us do things that we couldn't do. Because you know what? I don't always have time to show each parent and to talk to each parent and show their work for their student. But if throughout the year we're creating a portfolio of work that reflects what their child can do and what they know, then we get permission to share that publicly even better. But even if we don't, that can be transformative. It can be a bigger window into the learning of their child, and it can be a catalyst for conversation, not only between the child and I or the student and I, but between the parent and the child, right? If you can get kids to talk about what they're doing in school when they're at home, that's a big deal. So, where are we headed? We are headed to, to a certain extent, unknown, uncharted land. And I'm going to show you a video clip here in a minute from David Wiley. I think it's one of the most important TED Talk. It's a TEDx New York, actually, video for everyone in education to see. And just as the printing press was a huge game changer. What did Catholic Church think about that, by the way? 
I mean, my wife has been watching some Mad Mary documentaries on Netflix. Anybody like Netflix? Anybody watching Netflix? Okay, it's incredible how in the space of almost just a year or two for my children, they're not interested in Blockbuster, which isn't really even open anymore. <laughs> but I mean, they're not even interested in mail or DVDs. If it's not streamable, it's not on their radar screen. So, anyway. Yeah, it's hugely disruptive to think that everyone was going to have access to text in their language. Oh my gosh, you know what that's going to do? People are going to like interpret stuff. They're going to get stuff wrong. We got to fight this. We got to kill people. In fact, not only did they hang people, they burned them afterwards. Isn't that a quote from National Treasure? Doesn't Nicholas Cage talk about that? You know? Hold on, then they burn them. So, here's part of where we're going. It's a cloud-based future. We've all heard this. When I got off the, the plane in LaGuardia, you know it's mainstream because right over the exit stairwell is this huge Microsoft ad about the Microsoft cloud. And I'm glad Microsoft is home. Okay? Because a lot, of, a lot of IT people, until Microsoft says, the cloud, they're like, Google Docs, whatever. You know, we're, we're Microsoft shop. So it's good that Microsoft is getting on board with this because the cloud is transformative. When I put something into my Evernote, which is free for me to use, I haven't paid for it. But when I put, um, I like chicken. Is there any good fried chicken around here? Or just good restaurants. If you've got a good restaurant recommendation, talk to me later, okay? So I collect these things. And literally, in my Evernote, we'll, hope, we'll see if I could do this without disclosing personal secrets about myself. Because sometimes I've done this and there's been like a password on. But Evernote is free. You can access it through a mobile device, Android smartphone. You can access it through um, a web page. And there's an app that you can download. And so as just a real practical example, I'm going to go here to my Evernote. I'm going to click up here in the search box, and I've got 614 notes. Hopefully no banking passwords visible here. <clears throat> and I'm going to click here on the search window. Maybe. My computer is... Do I need to click save here? What do I need to do? There we go. Let me search. What I want to do is is put the word chicken in and have it search all my notebooks and show me. Um, you know, you ever had this happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I think when technology goes wrong and you're having a demo in front of your teachers and you recover and persist and still succeed, that might have more influence on teachers persisting and being successful than. It goes perfect and everything works. This is a dangerous thing to do in front of an audience, students. Put in your password. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure you're in your password field. And don't do that on your iPhone or your iPad because it'll show the first character every time you type. <laughs> okay, so here's my Evernote. I don't know why that, maybe I need to update my software, my, my line. All right, here it is. Here we've got fried chicken in St. Louis. We've got Gus's world famous fried chicken in Memphis. Um, what is this one? Yeah, Bobo's. I have not had this. It is in Oklahoma City. It's supposed to be the best fried chicken there. All right, why am I talking about that? It's a big deal to be able to offload ideas from my brain, right? I don't remember Bobo's chicken, but you know what? I don't have to because I've put it in a trusted spot, and I can access that for free in multiple places. So the cloud is a big deal. I flew to Qatar three weeks ago. You know where Qatar is? 
to the Middle East, Saudi Arabian Peninsula. It's the number one military ally of the United States right now. When Osama bin Laden got what he wanted when he sent his boys to New York, what did he want? Do we know? I mean, do your kids know this? This is a good thing to talk about. What did bin Laden want to happen in his home country? What was his home country? Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. What was he mad about that happened in 91 and, and, you know, kind of a big thing happened? The Gulf War happened? He wanted the United States out of his country. What? It's the Holy Land. It's Mecca. One of his mother things, too. But he got what he wanted. And where are we based now? We're based in Qatar. The military agreements that we made with the Qatari Emir following the first Gulf War led to ExxonMobil and Shell making billions of dollars in investments. And a huge infrastructure is now there. They're at 20% natural gas production. 1.2 million people in the country. 300,000 are Qataris. They're all millionaires. The janitor at the school where I was makes more than the principal. One of the fifth graders received a Ferrari for fifth grade graduation. His driver and mate come to pick him up each day. Okay? This is an, a, a, a wild place. Flying home, we fly over a rock. This is right over eastern Turkey, looking east, and I'm thinking, what's out there? Armenia, Azerbaijan, Yerevan, Mount Ararat. Okay? Someday I want to see it. And I looked out there and I wanted to see it, and I didn't. Okay? When I'm, I don't have chances to fly to exotic places like this that often, but when I am, when I'm looking at these clouds, this is what I'm thinking in, 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 at times. Bring your device and meet me in the cloud. You got a smartphone, an Android phone? Great. Bring it. Let, let's use it. You know, because you can get our text. You're going to be able to turn in your assignment. You're going to be able to share your work with me. You've got a laptop. Great. Bring your device. We're going to be able to work. This is the kind of environment we've got to be preparing for. These are my kids on Saturday morning in, in uh, 2004 uh, years ago. And we do need to be moving to the space where every learner has a mobile computing device. When we think about this traditional educators, we want kids to have devices? No, absolutely not. You sit down, you shut up, you listen to me, you close that. We've got teachers professors at the University of Central Oklahoma who have actually asked for mirrors to be in the back of the classroom with the technology budget. Why? I don't want my kids Facebooking through my class. So you better put mirrors up there and stop. Now, I think there are better ways to respond to the phenomenon of students with devices than installing mirrors and handcuffs, you know, in our classrooms. Perhaps engage the student, change the task, flip the classroom. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that we can respond to that. This is a, a more recent picture of the summer because I realized my kids aren't all on laptops anymore. Okay, what is this movie? You want a gold star if you can say it? It's Nicholas Cage. What is it? If we were in a group of kids, they would get What is National Treasure? Yeah, the opening scene where they're in the Arctic digging up that boat. Okay. So Netflix, you know, my youngest is watching. What's my son doing here? He's watching Netflix on my right? Uh, the media choice, the landscape is diversifying. So the cloud is really important. But every bit as important as preparing for the cloud is this idea that kids need to make stuff. And I am sure in this room we have folks who do not believe this. And we may kind of agree, oh, yeah, they do. 
But when we get back to school, we may be very comfortable and even expecting our teachers to have a quiet room with all the kids dutifully appearing to be at work on task and filling in somebody else's worksheet that somebody else created. We won't take time to do this, but a, a great activity is to have us share a meaningful lesson from high school. All right? Tell me one you remember. Why do you remember it? What was it about that thing? A lot of times we did, we made something, you know? We went out into the community, we built something, it was hands-on. I'm not saying every lesson we teach is going to be like that, but we need to make things more often in school, and it is, it is just so critical that we do this. If I, if I had a way to, to, to beam into your mind a belief, you know, more than anything else, this idea of let's make, let kids make stuff and be creative, that would be it. By the way, if kids aren't making stuff, they can't be creative, and if all their stuff looks the same, guess what? You didn't really give them any choices. So to the point about the work you're saying with your class, those artifacts, the things that kids create, they need to be diverse. They need to, to look different. It doesn't mean it's a chaotic wild west. Use a rubric, right? You've got those standards. Kids got to demonstrate this stuff, but you set up the boundaries for that within your project. Mobile learning. Does anyone here use a folder uh, for work that comes home periodically, or maybe you keep it at school? This is my daughter's fifth grade writing, well, writing folder for elementary school. It came home at the end of fifth grade. Never came home before this particular day. Now, what's the best thing that can happen to student work in the house? Or the best place it could go if it's awesome? The refrigerator. Exactly. And it might stay there a while. But probably not for forever and not for a long time. So when Sarah brought this, we used an iPad and a little iRig microphone. It's a $60 mic that plugs right in. And she recorded most of her essays. Now, she didn't want to record some of the stuff she wrote in first grade. Why? She's a baby. Right. She's better. I mean, her skills are better than that now. And so she didn't record everything. She got to decide how to put her best foot forward. But guess who got to listen to many of those essays? Her grandparents, who, praise the Lord, are still with us. Both my wife's parents and my parents are. Okay? That's a big deal. A really big deal. Because then there can be conversations. You know, we are changed probably more by conversations that happen rather than the lecture that's given at the front of the room. As you look at technologies, think about what can catalyze conversations at home. This is a big reason for digital portfolios. This is a big reason for having students make stuff. Because when they make something and they're proud of it, guess what? They're going to talk about it and they're going to show it to people. I think this is at an art show, and this, I think these are artists showing a portfolio of work, of photography. And I use the image to say that interactivity and feedback are so important. How, how do you get better doing something? Anybody here that's been a solo act with sports or with anything that you have, you have done it all yourself, and you have been able, it's completely self-taught, no coaching, no mentoring. Anybody in that boat? I don't think I know of an example of that. It's just about every single activity in life requires some mentorship, some modeling, and some learning with others. You know, the video camera and even the audio recorder can be transformative. Have you recorded yourself teaching before? 
Has that been painful? Yeah. We still required to do so by New York State. And just that simple act, and, and in the process of reflecting on it and watching it later, right, it, it can be a, a big eye-opener. And so we need interactivity and feedback. Folks, this is why ebooks alone are not the panacea, the silver bullet of what we need, okay? They're a piece of the puzzle. Interactivity and feedback are essential. Quick story. This is my son's first writing assignment in 8th grade English this year. We're on a continuous learning calendar in Oklahoma City. They started August 1st, and his teacher had them write in a little essay. And so I had him, as they do periodically, put it on our family learning blog, which we've had for a few years. And I'll just, I won't read you the whole thing. If you, yeah, it was a, it was a tough year. We, we had uh, friends evacuate just east of I-35 in, I think it was in August, because of wildfires. It was cost like 5000 a day for this double-rotor Chinook helicopter from the National Guard you know, to be dropped in water. And we're not in Texas where it was even worse. But this is a nice poem, okay? The fire that ate the forest. There's some nice language here. Well, had Alexander put it on a family learning blog, quick Twitter post, hey, my son wrote a poem, and we have some comments. Now, one of the most significant is Nana. Who do you think that is? <laughs> That's my mother who lives in Kansas, five hours away, doesn't usually get to see student work. And she's able to give some feedback specifically to her grandson. But what's up with this? Joyce McGreevy, author of Sierra Club books and editor for National Geographic School Publishing, is reading the just first poem my son wrote and giving him an edifying comment? Oh my gosh. We don't have to have student work go viral on the, on the web for it to be significant. The opportunity to write for an audience beyond the teacher is a huge, huge deal. And I'm not sure about New York schools because this is my first time to ever come here. But most of the schools I work with are absolutely not letting kids do this at school very much. And I want to encourage you to take this flame of passion back to your school because writing for an audience outside our school can be a really, really big deal. And I can tell you more stories about that. Let's talk about digital simplicity. Who's been to Glacier National Park? Anybody been there before? Would you recommend Glacier? Yeah. Yeah. About 1850, I think there were like 150 glaciers there. Now, 23. And they say by 2020, 2025, they're all gone. They're all gone. Hmm. What's going on with this? This is a photograph taken from the top of the pass. This is called uh, Going to the Sun Road. And I think it took three years and $15 million to, to build this road. And this is a panoramic photo that I just took with my iPhone. And Pano stitches together. This is probably like five or six pictures. All the fly stitches them together. Wow. You know what? If it wasn't simple, I wouldn't have taken that picture. If it recorded a big, required a big expensive camera and a tripod with a little clicky thing that says, click three times, click three times. That's how you used to do those. So the tools that are mobile now have a level of simplicity that can make a big difference. Example, um, we, we created a little uh, video called The Hobbit in Five Minutes. Because my, my middle daughter was supposed to read five books this summer for her English class. I, I wanted her to read this book, but we got to the week before, and she hadn't read it. So we, I won't show you the video. 
But the process of creating a short video, writing a script together, using Lego minifigures and finger puppets and little signs that we drew was a pretty engaging activity. And you know what? Without the iPad, we wouldn't have been able to do that in basically three hours. So being able to shoot video, edit it, and create it is a big deal. Here's another idea for you. Do you like director commentaries on DVDs? Anybody a Lord of the Rings fan? Let's just get those folks. Anybody looking forward to the Hobbit? Excited Peter Jackson's back? Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I was in New Zealand in February of 2009, met the principal of the school um, who, the, the, the farm that Hobbiton is on, where you can go tour Hobbiton on the South Island. They took it out? My daughter was there a month ago, and most of us single moms. No way! Sorry. Well, I'm going to contact her because I got a whole book that says, here's where you go to New Zealand to see. The children of the folks that own that farm, I met the principal, and he duck hunts on that property. And he was like, yeah, they had me go around the side. That's terrible. We've got to do something about that. Well, who knows? Maybe they want an artifact. Oh, I don't know. Who knows who will see this if Peter Jackson will? You know, I, I, we would love to go to take my kids to see New Zealand. But I love the author's commentary because in Lord of the Rings and so many other films now, you get such a backstory to the movie when you hear the director talk and the costuming uh, director and the person in charge of animatronics and all of these different things. Great stories that come out of it. So my kids and I, um, last week, just recorded, we watched the video, and we got an audio recorder, and we talked about the process. An actor's commentary. Could your kids do this? Absolutely. What would you need? An audio recorder that costs $35 now at Target or Walmart. You need a window into the learning that might not be reflected in the final video. But those kids can talk about what they learn, what they do different. It's an idea. We need to document and share what we make. And there are wonderful tools today available that will let us do it, do this documenting and sharing more than ever before. I'm going to show you now a seven-minute video clip from a 15-minute video. And this is, I've, I've not ever shown this video in a presentation before. I've heard of David Wiley, but I think these ideas are the most important that I'm going to share the whole time. And so, in the same spirit as before, I'm going to give you a question. And your question is... How can we share like this in your school, in your district, right here in New York State? How can you share in the way that David Wiley is going to talk about in this video clip? So how is it that the new media and technology are affecting education or openness or our ability to share? There are great opportunities here. Just let me talk about one of them very briefly. Expertise, in other words, the things that we know, the things we know how to do, the, the attitudes we have in terms of ethical behavior, things like that, are non-rivalrous. So in other words, they're not competitive. Um, I can give some of my expertise to you without giving it away. I can share that with you without losing it. And you probably know this rather famous quote by Jefferson, that he who receives ideas from me receives instruction himself without molesting mine, the same way I can light his candle without the fire of my candle being taken away from me. It's a good thing that teaching works this way. Otherwise, teachers would all be like honeybees who can sing one time and then die. You'd teach someone and then you wouldn't know anything anymore. And that would be a problem for the advance of uh, society and civilization. So knowledge has a special property that you can get it without giving it away. You can share 
your expertise, you can share of yourself without losing part of yourself. It's very important. Expressions of our expertise, however, are different, like expertise that you put outside yourself and capture in a book. So if volume five is off the shelf and is missing, I have to wait for it to come back before I'm able to gain access to that expression of your expertise. Um, well, I should say expressions really aren't different now. Um, we've been talking about new media and technology. Digital expressions of expertise are non-rivalrous themselves. So Larry's book, Free Culture, well, if you want to read the printed version of it and it's missing from the shelf, you have to wait. Everyone in this room could go to the website and read the online version of the book at the same time. When that knowledge and that expertise is expressed in a digital way, it no longer is a resource we have to compete for access to. This advance in our ability to give without giving away is almost, to me, it's indescribable. I mean, I'm a faculty member, so I'll ramble on for several minutes, but I can't really accurately describe how important it is. It's the first time in human history that we find that both expertise and the expressions of expertise are able to be given without being given away. So this gives us a really unprecedented capacity to share. Uh, at a scale uh, that we've never been able to share before, and we can substitute the word educate in here as well. Uh, this technology just gives us an incredible opportunity. Now, I will say parenthetically, um, although it's been handled very well in the morning session, it'll be handled well the rest of the day, I'm sure. Education involves more than just sharing expressions of expertise, of course. Um, turns out the internet's pretty good at enabling these social interactions and the other things that we consider being important parts of education. But I do want to focus on this idea of content. Um, technology, for better or worse, we're talking about these great new capabilities it gives us, but technology never is a one-man show, right? Technology always plays opposite its nemesis on stage, which is policy. So going back to tell a story for a minute, I, I love the expression web minus 10, which was up, you said earlier today. Uh, in the 15th century, we saw what is arguably the greatest technological advance ever and the printing press. Uh, the difference between the printing press and the internet, of course, is that with the printing press, things went from being very expensive to produce and very slow to produce to being relatively <coughs> expensive to produce in the case of the press. But now we go from being relatively inexpensive and pretty fast to produce to being immediate and basically free. So the difference from before the press to after the press and the difference from before the internet to after the internet are really two large things. But we have the press in the 15th century, but we also have, in the 15th century, the most draconian restrictions you could ever possibly imagine on the dissemination of information, something that makes a global DMCA look uh, like my youngest girl would say, a parade of rainbow ponies. Right? <laughs> rainbow sparkle ponies. Okay. okay, so Gutenberg's masterwork is a 42-line edition of the Bible. The Vulgate can be more specific, right? It's a Latin Bible. Um, and while the press is showing that we can mass-produce Bibles at scale, they're not being produced in the vernacular, in language normal people can understand. And there's a great demand for access to the Word of God in English or in Italian or whatever language you want. It's something that you can understand. And now that we know that the press can print these things affordably, um, why can't I get access to that in a language I can read? So as this technology develops and advances, instead of obliging that demand that actually exists, what happens is that the church instead ramps up productions of what are called indulgences, which are 
slips of paper you can buy to receive forgiveness of your own sins, or you can buy some extras to get the sins of your loved ones in purgatory forgiven. Um, and they actually push for stricter laws against access to vernacular copies of the scriptures. Uh, this English law from the 15th century. Notice it doesn't talk about possessing the scriptures, just reading the scriptures in the mother tongue. If you do that, you'll forfeit land, cattle, life, and goods from your heirs forever. I mean, the DMCA seems soft by comparison, right? <laughs> the first year that this law was in place, 39 people were not only hanged, they were then burned after they were hanged. Okay? So, we have this collision happening in the 15th century between this incredibly powerful new information technology, huge demand from the people, and yet these outdated ways of thinking that find themselves reinforced in law uh, in conflict. Now this collision, of course, resulted in that series of events that we generally refer to as the Reformation, a time of fairly large social achievements. Unfortunately, um, our day isn't a very different time. We can tell the same sort of story, even just in the education context. So take a course management system like a Blackboard or a Desire to Learn. This is a technology that is an online technology, the content in which is capable of being shared with everyone in this non-competitive way. But this technology is turned against itself with passwords, with different kinds of restrictions that keep people out that withhold, that conceal, instead of sharing, being generous, being open, being giving. Uh, and not only do they conceal, but they also delete all the contributions that students make at the end of term, right? We, like to jokingly say that if Facebook worked like Blackboard every 15 weeks it would delete all your friends, unsubscribe you from all your groups, delete all your photographs. I mean, that's not a way to build a community of people, right? All right, so there is your excerpt. You now have two minutes to talk about this question in light of what Wiley has shared. How can we share like this?
to clarify my question some more, but there are lots of obstacles for sharing. And we have typically not seen learning as something for everyone, right? A hundred years ago, how many folks were going to college? Small, small amount, right? And even today, paying for higher education, anybody doing that currently? Anybody have any children with them? Anybody have any debt themselves? You know. Anybody want to share a thought on this? We won't take 20 minutes left, so we're not going to take 10 minutes, but let's get a couple ideas. I think one of the things we have to do is allow, allow ourselves as teachers not to be, to be brave enough to put out this part that is not absolutely perfect. Yes. And to develop a culture of, of digital portfolios that's, that's normative. It's not like, ooh, that's the one weird class where it's happening. That is normative that this reflects student work because that is a huge obstacle saying, I don't want this misspelled, not so great essay to be out there because I'm going to hear from parents that are going to say, brave learners. We need to be brave as learners. We're all leaders, irrespective of our position. We have that potential. But courageous is a, is a big thing that we need. Someone else want to share a thought? I know that in four years, and the internet and everything else, are not involved in this stuff, and I'm hoping to work online. What does that do to the work that is so quick answer quick answer is there's a menu of options, right? When your kids publish their work, they don't have to do it with their first, last name, and phone number. They can do it under an alias. And at some point, when that student decides and the parent decides to claim that work and then put those best examples in a portfolio, they can do that. A dynamic that I think happens with creative content is the more you make, the more likely it is you get compelling stuff. A story, there's a great book called Art and, uh, Art and Fear. Fear of Art Making. Anyway, it's referenced in my book. Uh, it tells the story of a ceramics teacher, two sections. This class is going to be graded on the quantity of clay you fire. You fire 50 pounds this semester, you get an A, 40 pounds B, 30 pounds C, etc. On, on this side, it's just the final product, okay? I want to see one thing, I want to see it perfect. And your whole brain, all semester, is on that product. And what happens at the end of the term? This group has sat around, talked a lot, theorized a lot, they haven't made a lot. Most of the compelling work comes from this side. Because what they did, they fired a lot of stuff. They made a lot of things. They <laughs> failed. They, they figured out how to make it better. They iterated. So privacy is a huge issue. You want to get permission from parents, permission from students. If you talk to folks, administrators that have, have led exemplary projects like Tim Tyson at Avery Middle School north of Atlanta, Georgia, over a seven-year period, they had a film festival and a digital storytelling contest. They had some parents. I don't want my child participating. Okay? I don't want them in there. But when you build this culture of creating, sharing, and celebrating exemplary work, it was like the Academy Awards. They literally had the red carpet and the student work and the quality and then also the participation changed. So let's not be naive. There are predators out there in the world. There are folks that want to do evil to kids. But what 
where are we today? What kind of conference center is this? It's the Girl Scouting Conference Center, right? Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts recognize that there are predators and folks that would harm kids, but I'm more familiar with Boy Scouts. What do we do? Protection training. What do you have to do? Have background checks. You've got to talk about this stuff. And you don't cancel all the campouts because you know there are some people who make evil choices in the world. You take steps to address those situations, but I would encourage you to think about a menu, and if the student doesn't want to publish, um, I'm giving too long of an answer, but that is a great question. And if that's what's holding you back, solve that question. Look at the other folks who are doing this and figure out how are you doing it. I think if most of the time it's through a menu. There's, there are more choices. Some teachers use a code, student ID, you know, for publishing work. Some kids may not ever want the work. I have kids, they have a restraining order um, or whatever that, you know, they... We couldn't publicize that the child was at school at all because one of the parents, you know, it was a protective thing or something like that. I, I, I was at actually the school in California two years ago that um, Steve Jobs' daughter attends. And, you know, they're not pub- publishing her work under her name. So there's circumstances that are different. But don't let the outlier circumstances stop the entire school from moving forward in the publishing and sharing of their content. So if I was to give you a homework assignment, and I have absolutely no leverage to do this, so this is your optional assignment, it would be to reflect on that question and then share that back. Do you all have a, a blog for most to share things like that? Because that could be something that you could facilitate. I really think these are important questions and issues. I have spent the lion's share of time, we have 15 minutes left, talking about the destination of where we're going. And in our last 15 minutes, I want to talk a little bit about the ship. I want to talk a little bit about the activities that we do on, on board our ship and then our destination that we're headed to. How many of us have purchased interactive whiteboards for our school? How many of us have had parents come in, love them, what they see? Look at that, awed by it. It's easy to be awed by the interactive whiteboard. Right? Ooh, look, it lights up, you know. Um, it is a big deal to be able to bring digital content into your classroom. If you do not have as a teacher an opportunity to bring video content in, to bring the web in, it's a big deal. What's the bowl replacement, by the way, on your projectors? <laughs> you figure that into your total cost of ownership? You better. At the university, the Texas Tech Farmer, we have projectors of $750 bowls. Guess what happens when we need to replace those suckers? New projector, right? You know, we've got something at a $250 replacement. <laughs> so, it is a big deal to bring digital content into our classrooms, but just as we see content management systems being co-opted to support traditional instruction, which is not shared, which is private, which is, you know, I'm going to hold it tight, in many places we see whiteboards mainly supplementing a traditional teacher-directed instructional model. Who knows what this is? It's the $100 computer. It's the $100 computer, also known as the EXO laptop, developed at MIT by some revolutionary folks who have this idea that every student needs a device. And it's had a mixed record, as you might expect, but in countries that have agreed to provide one for every child, they've adopted it, and I think they got the cost down to $180. One of my favorite quotations by the man who invented the, um, the mouse, Alan Kay, 
is this one, that the predominant technology in the classroom determines the predominant technology for learning tasks. You got pencils? Guess what? We're using pencils today. As our kids have a digital device, we'll be able to use those devices. And it absolutely hinges upon you and I as leaders in our school and community whether these pencils get replaced with something else or they persist. And I, I still love to use a pencil. I still love to write. We do all kinds of planning for every video project and, you know, multimedia project we do. But we need more than the pencil. So, who has seen this? Anybody seen this? The Chromebook. I had a chance when I was at that main Google conference to play with one for the first time. And I'm going to show you a quick video. The question I want you to answer or think about, what is transformative about a Chromebook? Introducing Chromebooks for education. A simple way to bring power to the web into the classroom. Manage school-wide sets of hardware and keep students focused. For instance, Chromebooks leave more time for teaching by booting up in just eight seconds. That's less time than it takes to make a paper airplane. Even after entering sleep mode, they resume working immediately. And unlike most notebook computers, Chromebooks have a battery that lasts up to eight hours. So even at the end of a long school day, they're still going strong. Built-in Wi-Fi and optional 3G allow Chromebooks to connect to the web anytime, anywhere. Chromebooks are also built around a web browser, which means everything is stored online. Students and teachers can simply log on to any machine to access their emails, documents, and personal settings. So there are no excuses for missing or incomplete homework. Without the need for constant software updates and yearly re-imaging, Chromebooks make it easy to provide each student with their own computer. Schools can manage an entire fleet of Chromebooks with just a few clicks. Administrators can configure and manage computers and user accounts via a web-based console. They can also control which web apps and extensions users can edit. Chromebooks stay up-to-date with the latest features and fixes, so IT managers can spend less time updating hardware and more time focusing on the important things. Integrated security provides multiple layers of protection that defends computers and the entire network from malware and viruses. The Chromebooks for Education program includes everything from the computers and operating system to updates, web-based management, and three years of extended warranty and support from Google. After three years, schools will receive a brand new set of Chromebooks, including service and support, and get to keep the original computers. At the end of the day, Chromebooks for Education enables schools to be more efficient in terms of classroom time, IT resources, and technology budgets, which ultimately leads to happier teachers, students, and parents. To find out more about getting Chromebooks for your school, visit google.com slash Chromebook slash education. I fully admit, I drank the Google Kool-Aid and it tastes great, alright? I love my Mac stuff, but you know what? You remember uh, Jerry Maguire, the movie? Yeah. You had me at hello? You had me at eight seconds. Because I held this computer, it was off, I turned it on, and literally I timed it, eight seconds later I'm logging on with my Google account. So, another device, another thing to get excited about. The right question is not, should we buy a Chromebook? Should we buy a Galaxy Tab? Should we get an iPad? The right question is, what do you want learners to do? And I use the word learner intentionally, because we're all potentially learners. Do you want kids to write an essay? Well, yeah, Wes, we have a test on that and they got to write. Well, you know what? A keyboard is going to be really important today 
whole writing. So think about that. I don't think the Chromebook, as an example, is the, the everything device, right? I'm not going to shoot video and edit it on my Chromebook because it's just a web browser. But how much of your day do you spend now inside a web browser? And as you work on the cloud and you use Google Documents or Microsoft Cloud or whatever, the opportunity there is, is uh, it's exciting. This is my son in the Lego store in Chicago doing a quick little interview with my wife. Um, he, he found this app that will tell him on those Lego minifigure things that you buy that's a mystery, you can scan the barcode and then figure out which one's inside. So he did a little um, mini video that we posted about how to do that. If you want to create stuff, you're going to have to have devices that allow for content creation. This whole session is about blended learning, and I haven't defined it formally, so here's my go at a definition. A combination of face-to-face, -face, online, and hybrid learning strategies. And I add this at the bottom, not because it's in everyone else's definition, because I want it to be in your definition and mine, that maximizes student engagement and interactivity. See, there's folks in our country that are real powerful. Maybe Jeb Bush, maybe governor of our state, maybe other people, who don't necessarily have a vision of learning that involves interactivity. And sometimes I don't even think it involves the poorest kids, because what works for, you know, I agree that what's, what's good, uh, what's, the, what's, the, what's the term, uh, the phrase, um, about being good for the, what's good for some is what's good for the best. That's true, but if it's good for them, it's good for the best. I, this is, Sometimes we'll reserve the technology just for the GT kids, right? The gift of the talented. Oh, just these kids can use this. Look, if that is going to be an interactive, engaging way to get kids excited about learning and spending more time on a project, you know what? The kids that don't do so well with the text-based representation may jump all over a non-linguistic representation activity. So... Blended learning is a mix of stuff, and it's not just about sitting in front of a screen answering bubble sheet questions. And that's what I'm trying to say. It's not just about computer-aided instruction. This photograph, taken summer before last, is, was, was in, is in Afghanistan. And if you know anything about the Taliban, and you know anything about their views of women having education and being able to go to school, you have a small sense of how powerful this, this situation is with these young ladies, you know, and have you heard, you know, I've been hearing about car bombs going off and kids being killed in school and I've been wondering, are any of these girls, you know, are they, are they still, in, are they still alive? That's less in school. We need one device per learner and your role in your school is essential, but it's not just about the device. We've got a fair number of schools now putting devices out there. What are you going to do with it? And we need to be doing engaging things with those devices in order for them to have a big impact. We need to encourage creation. Boredom is a huge problem. Why do kids drop out of school? A lot of times they don't have a connection at school, a relational connection to someone at school who waits for them. And a lot of times they do not feel challenged. It's boring. Don't give your kids boring challenges. The world is complex and it's full of problems. And it's full of problems you and I have created that these kids are going to have to solve. Don't make them wait till they leave your school to get involved in the process of solving real problems and figuring stuff out and communicating with powerful tools that can make a difference. Your network is the cornerstone of digital learning. 
And I believe our K-12 networks need to look much more like college networks. Colleges have been doing BYOD, bring your own device, for quite a while. I think you all are having a session coming up, and we just heard that announcement from John about BYOD. We need to talk to our college colleagues. How do you handle on that? How do you take care of that? How do you make sure that a kid doesn't bring his laptop or her laptop and sit with malware because they're running Windows on it, which I'm sorry, but that, you know, more malware on those boxes than anything else. And if I was, you know, wanting to help my government in, on another continent, you know, attack the United States, I guess I would look at the, the biggest target, which is Windows-based systems. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with cyber warfare and security. But have our colleges shut down the networks and said, leave that device at home. You know, we've got mirrors in the back here, we don't use those devices, no. We allow you to bring that device and use it. So, we need robust connectivity. we got to advocate for this with E-Rate, right? Why does E-Rate exist? AT&T, I worked for them for two years. The whole team I work with wouldn't have been employed by AT&T without the E-Rate law. What's the school district here that got the FCC grants? To get the device? By the way, I'd love to get connected with them. I'd love to come on and hear what you're learning. And, and, and there's other folks that are doing one-to-ones as well. End-user devices are important, right? What's AT&T want? Let me sell you. What's in the closet? Let me sell you the connectivity. But if I don't have a device, that doesn't do a lot for me. I've got to have robust connectivity. I've got to support multiple platforms. Because you know what? It's a multi-platform world. Sorry, Bill Gates, but it is. Oklahoma City Schools right now, the entire wireless network, cannot support an iPad. One of our biggest high schools with all their race to the top funds, and they weren't beating the race to the top. It's, um, it, it's just, it's funding because they're going to close the school. It's the all, all part of the school improvement plan. They bought all the iPads. Guess what? None of them were online. None of them can get on the internet at school. Why? Because we have a network that needs to be fixed. It needs to accommodate devices and other devices besides Windows machines. How many of you have a Wi-Fi hotspot for every classroom right now? You need to put that on your technology plan. Why? Because when you ask COSIN, the Consortium of School Networking, or ISTE, the International Society for Technology and Education, for that kind of advice, or just go to a school, do it one-to-one, ask them, what did you do for your infrastructure? Most of them will say, we have one hotspot per classroom. And your network needs to be smart because sometimes you'll have more kids in, in an area that will be online. Do you know who's using your network and what they're doing? Do you peek out? I mean, how much bandwidth do you have? Do you have a 40 meg pipe? At my house in Oklahoma City now, if I wanted to pay $100 a month, which I don't, I could get 100 megabytes down of bandwidth. What does that mean? A DSL cable is like four or six. And the fastest cable modem has been 12 to 18. Oh my gosh! Fiber network runs right behind my house. You get 100 megs down. What do we have at school? Does it peak out? Does YouTube? Is it blocked because of bandwidth? You know what? You need a smart network that has a quota for video streaming. You don't have to understand how this works, but you need to know it's possible because we've got school districts that yes have YouTube open not only for teachers but for students, and it doesn't completely take over their all their bandwidth. Why? They have a quota. It's called a smart network. And they say, we're going to allocate 20% of our network, or whatever, to YouTube. But it's not going to eat the rest of our pipe that we have going out here to the internet. So, you got a smart network? The whole presentation about smart networks, I think I'll probably write a book about this, and I'm going to try and facilitate more sharing. Because if you figure out how to get this to work, 
then you're going to want to know it because you're implementing laptops and, and you need a smart network. And the solution you get is not going to be the solution everyone's going to get. But we've got to share and collaborate because this is something we all need. It's not just large districts. It's not just colleges. We all need smart networks. So I have two minutes to talk about it. I didn't time myself very well. We need kids to interact and do stuff, not just watching videos and answering questions, but interacting. Does anybody use this, the National uh, Library for Virtual Manipulatives? It's just a great example. If we were to click here on 9 through 12 measurement, you know, we've got these virtual manipulatives that we're, we're going to be able to use, that students can use to do activities. Um, by the way, it's flash-based. What does that mean? I better actually run Puffin Browser, which is free, because that will uh, support Flash content, and maybe then I'll be okay. Because my kids can play webkins on the Puffin Browser. You know that? Um, I got to think about this stuff, right? What do I want to do? There's a lot of web-based content that is on a particular platform. I better make sure it works on my device. You all know this? I don't work for any of these companies, by the way. Explore learning gizmos. Anybody done a rat breeding experiment studying genetics in your school? Sounds a little smelly to me, right? But this is an example of an interactive activity where students can take different mice, they can breed them, then they move them, you know, down here into the holding uh, cages, and you know, they can breed them, and they can take a look. I don't understand genotypes. So, yeah, um, I need that lesson. So that's a good tool. If my kids study in genetics, you know what? I want them to be able to do stuff like that. Open educational resources are resources that are shared. And we have an increasing amount of content that is being shared openly. Open textbooks. This is oercommons.org. At the university level particularly, but more at K-12. And that's why I asked the sharing question. Let's let New York lead the country in sharing curriculum resources with the United States of America. Is that possible? It absolutely is. What does it hinge on? You and leaders like you having a vision for this and pushing for this. I think I'm actually just going to close with this slide. I've got some other slides, but I'll close with this. My son in third grade. Technology, it's, it's exciting. I love it. I, I, I think there's powerful things we can do with it, but you know what it comes down to? You can be in the best school in the quote-unquote best part of town, the best district, and when your child goes to the classroom, what does it come down to? Do they have a smart board or not? Right? I mean, that's the long one. No, no, no. Did the film strip projector ever make one of your teachers just so great? Oh, the film strip projector. Do you remember 16 millimeter, by the way? Do you remember how much work that was? Do you remember the opaque projector? Do you remember how hot the bulb would get? Did you set fire to instructional materials with no major projector? Or fear that was going to Technology did not make the learning great. It may have really amplified things and opened doors that we wouldn't have before, but it's the teacher. Okay? I am sick and tired of our country accepting leaders that do not understand this and do not articulate this. Okay? Because your role and my role is vital in the classroom. Our kids need us. And amidst all the talk about technology and tools, walk out with this. Okay? And remember this with your teachers. 
because we live in a day where there's a ton of fear, a ton of threats, a ton of reasons not to be excited to be a teacher and a learner today. And what can change that is our attitude as leaders and our attitude as educators. So, I want to thank you for your commitment to education. I want to thank you for sticking in the education game. It's really not a game, it's a calling and a mission. Despite extremely toxic times. And uh, I look forward to seeing what's going to happen in New York. Because you all getting together, sharing ideas, and grappling with these issues is exactly what we need to be doing to provide educational opportunities that our kids deserve. Thank you very much. Okay, and I, I will say one last thing because I didn't even get to the slide. Um, oh gosh, I didn't even give it away. Uh, whose birthday? Sorry, can I be one giveaway? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, all right. So I made a quick little Google Doc. There's a free tool. I like this tool called um, the Interactive Fruit Machine. So we're going to get a birthday really quick here. Maybe. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Can I get this to work? Um, let me do this a different way. Uh, somebody give me a um, give me a number between one and twelve. You kind of already know what I'm doing, but will you give me eleven? Okay, I mean give me a number between one and thirty. Nine. Okay, I cut out the thirty-first. All right. Anybody? November ninth. Anybody's birthday close to November ninth? Okay. Anybody closer than the fourteenth to November ninth is your birthday. Okay. So you are our lucky winner of. Um, my ebook, and I've got it uh, on uh, CD, so you've got all three versions Kindle, Nook, and iPad. Um, and if anybody else would like to order, um, I've created a discount code, so it's 50% off any of the e versions through Sunday at midnight Eastern Time. Um, and you get the printed version, my uh, six year old, now eight year old actually, uh, illustrated it, and she has autographed it for you. So that's <laughs> Very rapidly through that presentation. Thank you very much. Do you have any questions for him? I'm hoping enough. I mean, this is an opportunity to ask him questions. And I, I saw him speak at uh, ISTE this past year, and um, this is an opportunity to have a question on this particular topic in his, his presentation. Please, now's the time. Anyway? Yes. The links that you provided in this, let's just take one more time to talk about the site that you have in the Sure, uh, I'll put that up. I'll put that up at the front. Um, you can just Google my name, West Fryer, and click handouts, and then we've got our session. But that Bitly, which is slash roadmap PBL, I, I shared the slides for free on a site called SlideShare. So all the slides are there, all the links are clickable, and then I've got the other resources available too. So you can access it all. Feel free to use any of that for your own purposes with your teachers too. So um, last night you posed this homework assignment about sharing and how we're going to get people to sharing, and I had a conversation about leaders, and so I said to you, by tomorrow morning, and you said, oh, of course not. Well, so I was so motivated by that, so I've got two people in here already this morning talking about it, we've got an idea. 
So this idea about sharing locally, but I would ask you, is there a way that we can collectively in the bigger audience, because local's great, but I'd love to be connected with all the people that you're connected to to talk about this. I'll introduce, you introduce your friends to my friends. We'll have to meet too. Yes, absolutely, because as you all share, for instance, setting up a motivating topic. Setting up a blog for both as an example, and then amplifying some examples and, and some things that people are, are writing and doing. It would be great to share those out, you know, with Twitter and then also the curriculum piece we were talking about last night. Do you have a, a, a sandbox to be able to share curriculum? By the way, the textbook companies won't want to have a sandbox for everyone to come together in. Just like Smart wants you to make materials in what? Smart notebook software. And Promethean wants you to create in what? There's a, so we need it to be created openly and shared out here. In, and so you can dialogue about where that can take place and where that happens to be good. Did you have a question, Doug? No, I'm good, actually. I, I realized that you and I share something in common, having been both Air Force officers, so that was an interesting revelation. But thank you. Yes. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Downstairs is lunch for you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I went to VMI, actually. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. Wow, what's up? Okay.